you ever have a carrot dangling in front of your nose but you never can reach it? And that's how I felt with communion. I never could comprehend what is this service really about? You know, the, the basic, I got that. But beyond that, I couldn't figure out what's the real deal. What is the value of this? We're going through this exercise, this ritual, and what's the purpose of it? So that's why I got into communion. But today, it seems very empty, doesn't it? If you don't, once you get done with this class, um, even just today, one class, you're going to have a whole lot more information than what you've, maybe you know it, maybe you don't. I'm assuming, from my experience, most people haven't. But you're going to have so much more information just with today, and it's going to be on the full washing, you're going to be like, full washing is going to be completely different for you. Because it's going to be encountering Christ face to face. And then it won't be empty. Now, for the disciples, it was not empty for them because um, their experience, they talked with Jesus. They walked with him. You know, they touched him. They watched him die. They saw him after his resurrection. They were there when he went into the clouds. That's why when they participated in the Lord's Supper, it was a completely different experience. They knew him. Do we know Christ? And really, that's why it's empty because we don't truly know him. Are we walking with him? Are we talking? I mean, do you pour your guts out to the Lord? Do you have answers to your prayers when you pour your guts out? I've been having an extremely rough four or five days um, with some issues going on in my home. And this morning at workers' staff meeting, nobody knew what was going on. And the pastor, he was sharing, do you have a crisis in your life? Jesus can fix it. And he talked about communion. I mean, why would he talk about communion? I mean, I'm, I've been really scared about this class. I've been really nervous about this class. Because um, to me, this is a very heavy topic. It's a very personal topic. And it's not a popular topic. And I've always felt that it should be a, a man, a pastor teaching it because of the seriousness of it. But it wasn't until I did my first time of this that I finally realized why God wanted me to have this passion is because how I despised it so bad. And that's really, if people will be honest, most people don't like communion either. So they have someone share, I don't like communion. And they're like, really, I can relate to that. And here you now you like it. Well, why do you like it? And it's because of what I'm going to be sharing. And really, Friday is the big clincher. I'm sorry, Thursday is the big clincher. So you don't really want to miss. If you have to miss anything, don't miss Thursday. <laughs> that's the most important. But anyways, for the disciples, it really was an experience. It was a, a life thing for them, a heart thing, because of how much they knew Jesus. It was a real up-close, in-touch experience for them. So, and we talked about, is it informed? There is no material out there, really. But there is a book. I've, I requested it to be here at ABC, and I forgot to bring it with me, but it's The Lord's Supper, Thoughts on the Lord's Supper and Devotions on it. You know, 40 Days, that book. Yeah. I don't remember. It's either number four or six. But anyways, it's a brown book. Um, that will give you <laughs> some more information. Um, it's not as in-depth as what I would like to see it, but it will give you a good starter to get going. And you know what? It's the only one that's available. So <laughs> you don't have any choice. Now the next issue is, is it routine? Oh, I want to go back to the informed. Did you know that the communion topic... 
I think I was sharing it before we started recording, was the most controversial topic in the Reformation days. It was the hot topic. The Catholics fought about it with the Reformers, and the Reformers fought about it amongst the Reformers. Because it was all on what you're going to do, how you look at that bread and that juice. So, I mean, they fought tooth and nail. I mean, churches split. The Reformation Protestant churches split on this issue. And I asked uh, an author one time in the church, and I said, why isn't there any material on communion? He said, it's not a controversial subject. And I'm really. <laughs> you better go back to your history book. But what I said to him was, you know what? When my Bible study comes to church and they need to wash feet, it becomes extremely controversial. I have, my Bible studies have run out of the building, and it was at Marquette. <laughs> so Barb, you re, I don't remember his name now, but he was a black gentleman. He did not, Soul Train was his nickname. But anyways, he ran, man. My husband watched him go. <laughs> he could not handle it. But um, it is a very uninformed topic. Now, is it routine? It is a routine. We have two extremes about it. Some people do communion every single day, like in the Catholic Church, and then you have like um, Church of God, they do it once a year. Now, if you went really extreme, the Jehovah Witnesses, you as a church member don't get to do it. It has to be the 144,000, and you watch them. You as a lay member don't get to do it at all. And you'd have to be pretty lucky to have one of the 144,000 in your midst in order to watch it. So it's kind of sad. Um, and does it have meaning for Christians currently? Well, does it have meaning for you? You have to ask yourself, what does communion mean? You know, is it a cracker and is it a juice and you snack it and, you know, rub-a-dub-dub and off we go, you know, with our feet? What is it to you? Does it have any meaning? And from what I'm understanding, people want it to have meaning, but they don't know what it means. They're looking for it, but they don't even know where to look. So the big question is, are you questioning the purpose behind it? Because if you're doing something and you don't know why, don't you, after a while, start like, well, what is the point of this? Do I need to bother with this? You know, and actually, in other churches, it's kind of, I mean, they just go through the motions. In the Methodist church, you know, you break off, you have a regular loaf of bread, you know, everybody comes up front, and they just break it off, you dip it in the juice, and they go back down and continue on to the service. It's just, it, there's no value to it. And Jesus is way more important than, you know, a snack in between. So I want to look at the word communion. What does the word communion? I'm a big dictionary person, and I like Hebrew and Greek, so I use my strongs. I do not. I was going to, but I didn't get that done. I do do Bible work. This is kind of like my little side thing. <laughs> but I am making Bible studies on it, and when I get them done, if we have a paper here, we could write your name and phone number. Um, or if you have an email address, I could email them to you. I do have 11 currently done. Not all typed, but they are. I handwrite everything. But um, I will send it to you. I'm hoping to have it published, so don't go and <laughs> change it on me or something. But um, maybe some lady could help me get that organized here. So communion. In the dictionary, it means an act or instance of sharing. So you're sharing in communion. You're not just sitting in your chair and you're receiving everything. You're when you share, you know, 
What is, how is that song? If I only had a toy and you had none, I'd give you my only one. You know, if, if Del has her pen and she hands it to Rachel, you're sharing. So Jesus is sharing, but we're sharing back. If you're going to have a friendship, communion, you've got to have this back and forth thing. It's a mutual participation. You're mu both of you, because it's you and Jesus. You both are participating. He is there at communion. No, he's not physically there as far as his bodily form, but spiritually he is at every single communion service. And you want to experience his presence. But you have to be open to it. You can't just show up and, and figure it's going to happen. You have to be a friend. You know, if you're going to bond with somebody, you have to look them in the eye. We heard about that, um, was it two nights ago in the evening meeting? You have this touch bonding, you have eye bonding, you have voice bonding, and you have all other kinds of bonding. We have the exact same thing with Christ. We have an intimate fellowship or rapport. Now, I like that word rapport because in Bible work, I've got to have a rapport with my Bible study. We've got to click. We've got to become friends. We've got to, you know, I've got to talk their language so that they can comprehend the gospel. And Jesus talks our language. He comes down on our level. And for, for my aunt here, she knows I'm just a farmer. I was, I was raised a farmer. I've been a farmer for, since 1868. <laughs> I hold my age well, don't I? But <laughs> I have farmer blood. And so um, you got to talk their language. And Jesus talks our language. But you have this intimate fellowship. See, it's a back and forth thing again. It's not just you stagnantly sitting there and receiving. Symbols for the realization of a spiritual union between Christ and the Christian. So the service is a symbol now, it is not the real, this does not become his body, it does not physically become his blood, otherwise we'd be cannibals. And we're not, okay, sorry, but humans are unclean. If you look in the list, you have a split hoof and do you chew your cud? You don't, so you're unclean. <laughs> okay, in John 6, Jesus says, this is my blood, this is my body, so they just plant it, this is. The word is, that's reality for them. And that's what Martin Luther stood on. I mean, him, him and uh, Zwingli, they had a big meeting. They were trying on communion, and they were going to try and come together. So, and he just sat there at his seat, and he ground it with a knife into the desk in front of him. This is my body. Martin Luther. He would not change from the word is. And Zwingli was bringing out, how that word is is used in the Bible, that it was used as a symbol. And Martin Luther would not change for anything. I mean, he left mad. I mean, it was a total washout as far as the communion service goes. Okay. So the idea is for our faith to be strengthened and that we take on the divine qualities of Christ. That is the purpose. Because with this rapport and this intimate fellowship, you have a back and forth going on. You have a growing attraction, a growing appreciation, a growing understanding, and a union that becomes stronger. So as that is happening, and you know, you got friends, right? How many of you are friends with each other in this room? Okay, you got dad and son over here, right? And 
Yes? So your friends. Now, as you guys hang out, especially the father and son issue, um, is your son like you? That was a very definite, wasn't it? Why is he like you? He respects you. Does he hang out with you? You raised him? And so you guys nailed, ha you hammered stuff together, your tree houses, you fixed the cars together, you went fishing together, talked about the girls together, now you're talking about being dads together because you got a child too. So, but you have become like your father, right? And so when you guys are together, you rub off on each other. If you've met my father, you have met me. My voice sounds like my mother now. <laughs> but I was told, I was telling you earlier, the pastor said, you are your mother's daughter. So I'm a secretary too. <laughs> but you become like your friend. Don't you and Marilyn have things that rubbed off on each other? Do you pick up phrases from Marilyn? Okay. <laughs> your camp meeting friends. My daughter had a friend at one of our churches, and that little girl watched a certain cartoon so much that she picked up the British accent. And so from one time of my daughter being with that little girl, she picked up the British accent. And I'm like, you are not Jocelyn. I want Emily back. <laughs> and this went on for months. Whenever she would be by her, she'd pick up that British accent. It rubbed off. You know, and then we get her all deprogrammed and back to the normal self and then of course next Sabbath she's back at it again so, but we pick up these qualities now Christ he's picked up our qualities hasn't he he became a human being he had bad hair days now he didn't blow it but he had bad hair days you know he, he experienced all of our emotions he's been he's been feeling bad he's been dis, he wasn't despondent well look at the garden of Gethsemane don't you think that was a bad hair day I mean, he's letting drops of blood. That was a bad day. He knows when everything is falling apart and you're going to die, he knows what that's like. He's been there. His friends all abandoned him at the garden. He knows what it's like when your friends all dump you. You know, so he experienced all of our emotions. He's been through, you know, he grew up from a young boy. He went through the puberty. He had messed a dysfunctional family. His stepdad was Joseph. You know, so he... He could only text to God, and that was through the Bible. You know, his father was in heaven, so he didn't even get to have visiting rights. He was stuck down here. He didn't get to go home on the weekends and have nice times with Dad and go fishing. He had to stay here. So Jesus understands what it's like to be a human, and he wants us to be a human. I mean, he wants us to be like him, not a human. we got enough of that. Anyway, so there's three steps to communion. I wish I had a clicker. Um, it's foot washing, bread, and grape juice. And that's pretty obvious. We all know that for the most part, right? I'm trying to watch my time. All right, now the foot washing, the idea is that we're supposed to examine ourselves, right? That's the foot washing. We're always told this is the service humility where, you know, I'm, I'm coming to you, Marilyn, and I'm washing your feet. I'm serving you. Does it go beyond that? Do you know anything more about it than that? So we need to be examining ourselves we need to be determining our true motives. Why am I doing this? You know, I'm supposed to be appreciating and loving others like Christ did. Foot washing creates this. And it's a whole lot. I just learned something a couple weeks ago about foot washing that I'm going to bring out. 
it has changed my life. And I will save that for then. <clears throat> but anyways, we're going to talk about it today. So at the Last Supper, Jesus initiated this examination time. He's the one who got the ball rolling. You know, he, um, he created the examination. This wasn't a byproduct. This was the product. He wanted us to examine our hearts. Foot washing time. Okay, in order to participate in the bread and the juice, we have to have the foot washing. Most churches, you know, Sunday churches, don't do foot washing at all because they believe, you know, that was just a hospitality custom, you know, so that's history. We don't need to do hospitality custom anymore. Hmm, really? When you think about, when we're done with this, if someone will help me remember, I'll ask you again, is foot washing necessary? So if someone can help me keep on track with that, um, when we're done with this session today, ask, was foot washing necessary? Was it just a custom? Is that all that it was? So Jesus informed the disciples with a statement that one of them was going to betray him. And if you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew 26, 22. Look how they responded. I brought my Bible here. In Matthew 26, verse 22, because this is how he started the examining time. He asked them a question. Matthew 26, 22. And I got the old King James. In 21, he's, at, he's telling them what's going to happen. And they're asking this question in response to that. When you're there, say amen. And they did eat, and as they did eat, he said, verse 21, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they responded with, They're exceeding sorrowful. And began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? So now they're examining their hearts. Am I the one who's going to betray you? That's what they're asking. So they're looking at their hearts as like, Whoa! How in the world could I betray Christ? Because now you've got to look at the word, what does betray mean? You know, if, I don't know if any of you are divorced here, but have, um, have you ever felt betrayed by your husband? Or you have a friend who has dumped you? You felt betrayed? Yesterday I had a situation. I had a most rottenest day yesterday, and I get all done being cried out from that. And after the meeting... Last night, um, I have this young lady staying with me, one of my Bible study friends. And I'm like, why didn't you come home to supper? And I texted you. Supper, I was making supper for you. An hour later, I texted her and said, where are you? And then she said, well, I'm eating at so-and-so's house. I was not happy. And I'm like, so when she got home at 10 o'clock, I said, why didn't you tell me? when I texted you at 5.30. Well, we went to the movies. I'm like, are you joking me? I didn't bring you here for this. And she's 17. My problem is, is the other adult. And I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. I told her, I feel defeated right now. Because my whole purpose of you being here has just been blown out of the water. And then I proceeded to tell her, this is not a good day. <laughs> this is the capper to my day. You need to go to bed. 
So today I met the other person who was party to this and I told them, don't do this again. Um, that's not why I have her here. I'm responsible for her. My husband told me today, send her packing home. <laughs> I'm not ready to do that. But that's what he wants me to do. Anyways, so Jesus is doing this examination time. Uh, he initiated. He's look, he wants us to see how we're going to betray him. And these disciples, they started to, to question themselves. And they began to question their sincerity and their loyalty to Christ. With that question, is it I that's going to turn my back on you? I'm going to lie to you. You know, and they wondered, do I have a secret sin in my life? I mean, have you guys bopped along in your Christian walk, and then all of a sudden, boom, you got this big sin that you did not realize. Someone so graciously tells you how horrible you are, right? You ever have those wonderful moments? Don't your husbands tell you how great you are and how wretched you are? My husband tells me my faults, and um, I don't enjoy it until <laughs> about three or four days later. But um, it's not fun to have an unrecognized sin and then finally to see it. It's very crushing. At least it is for me. My encouragement is Jesus already knew I had that sin before I knew I had that sin, and he still loved me while I was in that sin. So I just, I'm okay with the Lord. Now that it's recognized, he can take care of it. So they noticed their character defects. They viewed their lives in light of Christ's holiness and purity, and they began to think who they thought Jesus was. Who is this person I'm following? Is he the Son of God? Is he really divine? I mean, he's been teaching all this stuff. Do I really have it in my heart? Do I really believe it? Does that really mean all that to me? Am I practicing it? You know, why am I not practicing X, Y, or Z of his teachings? Are these teachings actually real? And were they really in their heart or not? So let's look at Judas. Judas got to thinking, you know. He was the last one to ask if it was him. Did you know that? As you read through the scriptures, Ellen White brings it out too. He was the last one. And the only reason why he brought it out, because he was watching everybody else, and he was afraid they were going to be watching him. So he better say it. But he got to thinking, hmm, I hold the bag of the, the treasure, the money. Um, and he dipped into that for his own personal desires. And that came to his mind. Well, I'm a thief. And you know, if you read in Ellen White, she says that it was Judas who was instigating the other disciples to have this, um, the big head issue, who's going to be first in the kingdom. He is the one who created that division all the time because he wanted to be the one. But he was creating disunity by doing that. And all this is coming to his mind when Jesus said that someone's going to betray him. And he knew who it was. It was himself. But what about us? Are we self-seeking when we're sitting in the church pews? Or, you know, we want to be recognized. And we all have a pride problem because, well, we're human beings and we're sinful. So we all have a degree of Satan's nature. Some are more obvious than other ones. Some are really good at keeping it under the surface. But are we in Judas's position, are we creating disunity in the church? Because, well, I want the green carpet. You know, the other person wants the blue carpet. Or I want this color of... Shingles on the roof, I've heard churches have been split because of the color of the shingles. You know, I was in a church a number of years ago, and they're trying to revamp that church. It was a VFW hall, and they fought over everything because one person said, 
I'm the one with the money. I have the most experience. And so that's what it's going to be. Nobody else had any say. So when I got to the next church, do you think I had anything to do with the remodeling? Because that church was remodeling. I had absolutely nothing to do with the remodeling. And now I'm in another church, and they're going to go buy another building. I keep my mouth shut. I have nothing to do with that. I learned my lesson. No way, Jose. But the thing is, um, are we a Judas? Are we self-ruling? Self is on the throne. Now, Peter, he's the most talked about one, isn't he? We all like to Peter. He jumps out of the boat, you know, and he walks on the water, and then he sinks. And he got to thinking about that. Because he's like, I'm bold for Jesus, man. I'll just lay it on the line. If I'm going to tell you you're going to go to the hot place, even if you're not ready to hear that, <laughs> you know. He does. He just point blank spills it all out. And um, he's very headstrong, very prideful, but when the, the, the rubber met the road, he was a coward and he ran. He denied Christ three times. Can you imagine what he was thinking when he heard that rooster crow and he thought about this question, one of you is going to betray me? Because he still, as of yet, did not know Judas was doing his dirty deal. And so he's like, man, I'm the one Jesus was talking about. That was really hard. But are we that way? Do we jump first and then look later? I'm kind of that way in some ways. Um, you want to volunteer, I'll be the first one to volunteer. Then I'll find out what I'm volunteering for. Might not be cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then we kind of pull our horns back in. It's like, oh, I don't really like this. That's being a coward. We might be a Peter. Now, Thomas, he sat there thinking, man, I'm really smart because... Um, I'm not like Peter. Okay, I'm not like Judas. I'm not a thief, and i am not got the pride issue. And I'm not Peter, where I'm jumping first and then thinking later. I will be very cautious. Someone has an idea in the church, let's go forward with, you know, VBS and doing this in another community. It's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we should just kind of like do a research and see how much money we have and how many people we have, which are good questions. But it's like, well, maybe we should wait a couple years, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's very prudent, very slow, doesn't get too ambitious about things. But the problem is he prided himself on how wise he was, but he didn't realize how distant and detached he was. You know, he's called Doubting Thomas. That's doubt. If you've got to create a whole bunch of barriers to do something, that's something I can't stand. So you give an idea, well, we can't do it this, for this reason. Well, can't do it for that reason. I'm like, well, then what's the point of having this meeting? <laughs> yes, he did have good ideas. I'm not saying we shouldn't have wisdom, but we do need some Peters. Let's just go forward, <laughs> you know, and hopefully we don't have any Judases sucking out the money. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we, Thomas finally realized he was very distant and detached. Now, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder, um, I think it's in Luke chapter 9. And when Jesus wanted to go to the city of Samaria, the sons of thunder are like, okay, they didn't accept you there. And uh, let's, let's call down fire from heaven and burn them all up. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. And they're like, whoa. They're thinking, we're on fire for Jesus. We're going to go forward and we're just going to, we're critical of all the church members who aren't well, on board with the program. And they're all messed up, and they're all going to go to the hot place because they're not like us. That's the sons of thunder. And then they got to thinking, but Jesus told us that we had the wrong spirit. Maybe we got the wrong spirit now. 
Is it, am I the betrayer? Do I have the wrong spirit and don't know it? So James and John, they kind of lowered their eyes a little bit after Jesus said someone's going to betray him because at first they're ready to jump up and then all the wind came out of their sails because they finally realized, um, maybe we're not as great as we thought we were. Now the other disciples, they're kind of dense. You don't hear much about them, do we? You know, you got Bartholomew and you got Nathaniel. You heard a little bit about him in the Bible. But you really don't hear too much about the other disciples because they didn't have anything to say. <laughs> because they're just dense. They truly did not comprehend who Jesus was as their Savior and Redeemer. These are the other ones are the most outspoken, one, two, three, four, five, that we talked about um, because they, they put themselves out there. The other ones didn't. So we all fall into one of the two or three or more of these categories at some point. Are we any of these things? That's what we need to be examining our hearts about. So we need to be thinking, hmm, where am I with the Lord? Do I hold to his ideals and beliefs? Look at all the beliefs that we have. We have 28 beliefs. Do you believe them? This is the time to be thinking about, oh, do I really believe in the Sabbath? How is my Sabbath keeping going? What is my understanding of the Sabbath? Grandma taught me to keep the Sabbath. I know it's from sundown to sundown. It's what we've been doing for the last two or three generations. Do you know any more than that, why you keep the Sabbath? Well, I married my husband or my wife. She's, she's a Sabbath keeper, so I do it because of that. Is that going to hold you at the end time? You know, when we come to communion, we need to be looking at what do I believe, just like the disciples. What did they believe about Jesus? Was he truly the Son of God, the divine Son of God to them? That's what we need to be asking. What is Jesus to me? His ideals, you know, as along with the character, you know, Jesus, he taught us to turn our cheek when we have a problem. Do we do that, or do we fight tooth and nail to get our way? You know, that's becoming a Christian, behaving like a Christian, thinking like a Christian, acting like a Christian is different than claiming to be a Christian. It's a whole lot different. You know, it's a whole lot harder. Anybody can claim to be a Christian, and they do. But being a Christian is completely different. So... Am I, is my character becoming like his? Do I want him to return? Because communion is looking forward to the second coming. That is part of it. We'll be talking about that in other days. But do you want him to return? I've had Bible studies tell me, no, I don't want him to come back. Things are just fine. I'm like, the Twin Towers went down. So? People are dying. Not my family. You know, this one's got cancer. It's not me. I'm like, wow, lady. <laughs> I didn't know how to answer her for a while on that. But anyways, do we want Jesus to return? Do we want our lives to be different? Do we want to go to heaven? It's going to be different than here. No, no more grandkids. You know, that's no schooling. And that's in the realm that we didn't understand it as. Do we want him to return? Do you want to be with him for eternity? When you're doing communion, that's a big question because that's who you're going to be with. You know, when you got married, you like, do I want to be... You know, for Barb, do you want to be with Frank anymore? Do I really want to live with this guy for the rest of my life? And that's a serious commitment, right? And so it is with Jesus, too. You're marrying him for eternity. And have I recognized and renounced sin in my life? Have I done that? Or do you think you're pretty good? Some people I know, they think, boy, they got it all together. You know, they're, I have had a... 
had a Sunday pastor tell me he couldn't remember the last time he sinned. And then he was accused of having an affair with a secretary. And I have in a, a church, I see who are the members here. Okay. In one of the churches I worked at, a gentleman stood up and he said, you know, he hadn't sinned for three days. You know what? He just blew it. That was in the Mayo church. <laughs> Rachel knows about that. But anyways, um, do we know we're sinners? If you don't know you're a sinner, communion will mean nothing. There's no value to communion if you don't think you're a sinner. Communion is made for sinners. You need to be a sinner in order to have communion. Otherwise, there's no point. Your righteousness by works then. You're all fine and dandy. You don't need Jesus. But communion, we are saying we do need Jesus. You know, what we talked about what is Jesus to me? Is he a vending machine? Is he only a listening ear to my problems? Does he hear about my joys? Is he someone I blame when things don't work right? So foot washing is meant to allow this kind of thinking to happen. So when we come to the foot washing, you know, we're told two weeks ahead of time that we're going to have foot washing and communion and all that. These are the kind of questions you need to be thinking. Am I a betrayer? How could I be a betrayer? How have I been a betrayer? Have I been walking with Jesus like I see in the scriptures? Or have I been slipping away and not even realizing it? Because that's how it works. You know, sheep, they take, it's one bite at a time that they go out of the pasture. It's just one bite, you know. You know, something tastes over, looks over good right over here. Yum, 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 yum. Then they come, oh, this is a nice piece of grass. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, look at that one. Yum, 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 yum. And then they just go from one of them. Oh, the whole flock is over there. Now what do I do? You know, they don't know how to get back. They can find the hole in the fence but to get out, but they can't find it to get back. I had sheep. So anyways, <laughs> I know all about it. But we do that too. First it's just, oh, I'll just have cheese on my pizza one time. Or, um, hmm, it's a situation. <laughs> What's that? No, eating cheese is not a sin. But if you're trying to follow a little bit more closely, I, okay, you can tell I'm a little plump, right? So I'm trying to lose the weight, and cheese is not helping my situation. I used to be really strict on my diet. I was nice and thin before you met me, Rachel. I was really nice and thin. <laughs> When I got married, I was nice and thin, right, Del? And now I got the motherly stout look. So um, I'm trying to get back to the thin look because <laughs> I want to be healthy for Jesus. And for me, cheese is not good. I personally don't, it doesn't make me feel good. So I'm trying to get back with all that. But see, for me, that was one bite away. And then, you know, it was another bite on some other issue. Well, and I have a farmer's appetite, but I don't have a farmer's job. So, you know, it's just... We eat a little bit too much, and I eat too often. You know, it's just one bite at a time. You know, I'm not exercising. I'm trying to get back on track. It's just really, really hard. And so we just let things slip. They just kind of, and for me, it's a diet issue. Now, for you, maybe, well, I'll tell one lie. I'll just tell one little white lie. Like my friend here, she um, just texted me, but it's like, well, I'll just tell, I just won't say anything to Andrea about this issue. Or I will just fudge it a little bit. Or, you know, I'll do this a little bit. But after a while, it becomes bigger. And so it just keeps on going. Now, I'm going to get to kind of transitioning from the character issue to something different. 
Now this is a really huge issue about foot washing. Who is supposed to wash the feet? Was there a servant that evening? Why not? He did not have one on purpose. Jesus was the host of the Last Supper. He told the disciples, go get the supper ready. This is where you're going to go. This is what you need to go get this and that and the other, and that's going to be at this house. He's the host. He was organizing and orchestrating it. So he, it was his job to provide the person, the servant, to wash the feet. But he did not. Now, in that culture at that time, it was usually, the word servant actually means slave. So he did not provide a slave. Now, where do you get a slave? I mean, if we're going to go to Walmart, do you find slaves at Walmart? The slave market. So you had to go to the slave market, and so then where did the slave market get that slave? How did it arrive there? Okay, if you were a Jew and you had a debt to pay, you were only indentured for six years. You actually weren't a slave. That's where you were like, how we understand the word servant. And then you, you left on the seventh year. Jesus didn't fulfill that role with this situation. A slave was taken, a true slave was taken by a prisoner of war. Like someone mentioned, you were hauled off from your home. You were captured. You're put in bonds and chains. You're hauled off to this other country. You're put on the slave market. You're sold. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And then you have to go and you work. Now in the Roman culture in Jesus' day, you knew who the slave was in that home by who was standing. Everybody else would be sitting down, reclining. A slave stood at attention and they walked around. All the disciples were reclining and Jesus stood up, it says in the Bible, from supper and he took off his outer garment and he clothed himself with a towel and he started walking around. He put himself into the slave's position. Now I got ahead of myself. I want to look at this word Gentile. Why could it not be a Jewish slave? I just talked about the indentured servant situation. But a Gentile, see, in the Jewish world, Jew and Jew did not generally wash feet. Unless they were, most likely they had to be equals in order to wash. Let's pretend Marilyn and I were Jews. I would hand her the bowl for herself to wash her own feet. Remember Abraham, when those three men came? He gave them towels and wash basins to wash their own feet. When um, the servant, Abraham's servant, came to get the girl for Isaac, he was handed the basin and stuff to wash his own feet. Um, but the other thing is, uh, in Jewish culture, a superior didn't wash a lower person's feet. You know, a business owner didn't wash a day laborer's feet. That was culturally taboo. You, that was no-no. You didn't do that. So a Jew can't wash another Jew's feet. It has to be a Gentile, because in a Jew's mind, a Gentile is worth less than a dog. That's how the Jews at that time looked at Gentiles. And really, if you go to Israel, I read a book from the 1980s. There was a story of a man. Um, it was on the Sabbath. And there was a Gentile having a heart attack in his little suburb thing. And they were screaming, we need to call 911. 
so-so, you're, you're a Jew, you have a phone, call 911, and he refused. Why? Because that was a Gentile, and it was the Sabbath, so he wouldn't do it. So I don't know what happened to the man, you know, he had his heart attack. So some people, the reporters went to the rabbis of that man's synagogue and said, asked them, did he do the right thing? They said yes. It was a Sabbath and he was a Gentile. A Jew's mindset, I'm not saying American Jews, I'm saying you're, I'm stereotyping here, okay? A Jew's mindset is if a, if a Gentile baby dies, that's good because now that child cannot grow up and become an influence to other people to turn away from God. They're happy when a Gentile baby dies. That is their view of a non-Jew. So that's the person who's supposed to wash their feet. That person basically became a non-person. You know, if we can imagine, in our culture, we can't imagine that, really. But it is a worthless person. Your cat has more respect in your mind than a Gentile person. Not too high, is it? So, how Jesus fulfilled this role. We talked how he did not provide it. He waited, so he had to wait for someone to start washing the feet. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. It wasn't until after the Passover meal was over when he finally stood up to wash feet. So can you imagine that room, the tension? Because this is something that had to be done. And they're all wondering, who's going to do it? You know, um, it'd be like Rachel is sitting there waiting, thinking, hmm, when's Del going to start washing my feet? And Del is sitting there thinking, hmm, Marilyn needs to get up and wash my feet. And Marilyn's sitting there thinking, Barb isn't washing my feet. <laughs> Everyone's thinking, yeah, I need you to wash the feet. And no one is doing it. But when, you know, as that's going on, can you imagine the tension mounting? Because this is something that had to be done. So Jesus is waiting, and he's watching, and he's listening. And um, everybody's kind of squirming but it never gets done until he stands up. And so, because they knew once they stood up, they were declaring to all the other disciples that they're the slave. They're de by, by Jesus standing up, he declared he was going to be the slave. He was going to be worth less than a dog. He was going down to the most utmost depths that he didn't have to do. The only requirement for our salvation was to die on the cross. You know, and to live a perfect life. He didn't have to go into this position to save, but he was willing to do it. He was waiting for them to be willing to do that, to have his spirit in them. And by their refusal, they're saying, we don't have your spirit. They were completely disjointed from the spirit of Christ. I mean, they didn't have his character whatsoever. And they proved it by refusing to wash. So when we refuse to wash someone's feet because, well, maybe it stinks, or maybe their feet aren't pretty, or my feet, I don't want to be tickled. That's a big issue with people. I, my feet are ticklish. I don't want you. Because people are scared. Okay, look at your feet. Do they really look pretty? They're, they're probably the ugliest part of our body, and we're very self-conscious of that, and we're worried. What's they going to think? You know, what's Marilyn going to think about my toes? I mean, maybe I have yucky toenails. Maybe I have a fungus there. 
you know, or something. And people are really self-conscious. But you know what? If you want to boil it down, I'll just put it out blunt. That's pride. Do you want Jesus to wash your feet? Or do you want to stand back and say, I'm too good for you to wash my feet? That's, that's really what it boils down to. And it's really not right. But he took off his outer clothes, so he changed from, di from divine to human. He took off his outer clothes. So he is... He clothed himself with a towel. He took on humanity, the bare bones of the situation, and then he actually got himself dirty with that. So he became the lowest of the servants. I mean, he couldn't get any lower than a slave. That is as low as you can go. I'm watching my time here. And that war, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, it's the slave market and all. What war did he come from? It's the war with Satan. Satan is now claiming Christ as his war prize, because that's what a slave is. You know, they march all the ladies through and say, here's our war prize. What man wants to take what girl? You know, but Jesus was the war prize of Satan that evening, and he volunteered for it. The disciples refused to volunteer, but Jesus did. And when washing feet, he became the prisoner of war, and he took on our sin when he got the, the towel dirty, because he comes up, you know, Marilyn, I need you to stick your foot out. So he's got his towel, and he wipes the dirt off. Now they've been walking through cow doo, doo They've been going through the mud and the dust and everything. So now that is on his towel. He got dirty. He took our sins. That sin now got transferred. You know, when you did the, the lamb, you put your hand on the lamb. You confessed your sins, so symbolically it got transferred. Well, he took our sin into himself. I got to see... I got something really cool, but I got to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. So the only means of escape from being in a slave position was to die. Most slave owners weren't gracious and say, hey, slave, just go home. Go back to your country. You're free. That didn't happen. You died. That's how your, your term of service was ended was because you died. Now, so Jesus, the only way for him to escape was through death. And he was released from death when he died. He released us from death because he became the slave that we are. We're a slave of Satan, are we not? He took our role. So he became the slave that we are. He took our sins upon himself, and now he has taken those sins to the grave. And he left them there. When Jesus was resurrected, he didn't take those sins back up to heaven. They stay here. So when we're washing feet... We are admitting that we are a prisoner of Satan and now we have to die to be released. Die to self. And that is very hard. Now, okay, let's go back to our slave thing for one second. So, you, uh, that wasn't cool. All right, so I'm going to, I had a couple more thoughts on that. When Jesus stooped down to wash those feet, who was watching besides the disciples? Angels, that's true. Satan was watching, and he's like, I got him. Here's my war prize. Yes, he's triumphing. He's got him. So now, as uh, Jesus is washing the feet, now he's going to work on Judas. And Judas is like, are you nuts? You can't be the king of the universe washing feet. 
You're not the real divine son of God. No king would act like this. He could not accept it. So washing feet for Judas was the absolute, you're not the king. And that's what Satan instigated into Judas's mind. Jesus was not the true Messiah because he washed feet. That's what Judas thought. Jesus wasn't the true Messiah. Okay, so Satan was beyond joy as he moved the mob to humiliate Christ because this is his war prize. So he mocked Jesus. He scourged him. He beat him. And then he nailed him to the cross. But the problem is Satan lost because Jesus knew he was going to do all this. So when he bowed down to wash the feet, he's like, I'm not less because I'm washing your feet. This was in Jesus' mind. I'm not being lowered because I'm washing feet. And we, we think it's such a humiliating thing to get on our knees and wash someone's feet. I was at my current church, and I, this one lady, I said, hey, so-and-so, are you going to do foot washing today? She's like, oh, no, I don't do foot washing. I haven't done it for years. I can't get on my knees. And she's not the most, um, she doesn't have a lot of money, okay? So she's poor, and uh, her socks obviously hadn't been washed for a while. And I'm like, I'm going to wash your feet, lady. Come on. And she says, they stink. So, so what? I'm a stinker too. So we, uh, we go into the other room, and I, pull, I was really surprised. I pulled off those socks, and they were so crusty. And I don't think they'd been washed for two or three weeks. I mean, they were like stuck to her feet. And, you know, I pulled the other one off, and they had an aroma. But I'd been around aromas before, and so as a farm. So, you know, I washed those feet, and I thought, wow, this is a privilege this poor woman has not had her feet washed for years in that sense. You know, she's, she's washed, but you know what I mean. And for her, it was a huge blessing. And she couldn't get on her knees to do mine. That's fine. Someone else, I think Emily washed my feet. But Satan lost when Jesus did that, when he washed the feet and when he died on the cross. And Satan was mad because he didn't get Jesus to sin. He took on our sin, but he never became no, I'll take that back. He became our sin, but he never entered into doing the sin. So he wanted Christ dead, but that death was triumph. His prisoner escaped his clutches when Jesus died on the cross. It was all over once Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died a champion, not a defeated slave. Isn't that cool? So when we wash feet, it means we are admitting our sinfulness. When I put my foot out for you to wash, I'm saying, I'm a sinner. I need my feet washed. I have inward and outward sin. My outward is you can see it. My inward is I and the Lord are only the ones who see it. And when I'm washing someone's feet and I let my feet be washed, I'm confessing my spiritual condition. This is my big thing. Do you remember when Mary Magdalene came to that last um, Pharisee's meal and that Pharisee, I think it was Simon, it's either Simeon or Simon, he did not provide Jesus with water for his feet or oil for his head or a kiss on the cheek. But Mary Magdalene came and she washed his feet with her tears and her hair. And Jesus said, Simon, you didn't do this for me, but look at this lady's doing all these things for me. Simon at that moment, okay, when Jesus had that happen to him, she was confessing her sin. Because he said, your sins are forgiven you. So she was confessing with those tears, her sins. So when Jesus was watching the disciples' feet, he was confessing their sin. 
Washing feet means confessing sin. Simon refused to confess his sin. Jesus said, he who loves much is for, he who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. He refused to confess until after it was all said and done, we're told by Ellen White. But the issue is when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he was confessing their sins because he took their sins on him. So when we wash feet, I come up to Maryland, I'm actually, when I let her wash my feet, I'm confessing I have sin. I am a sinner. These are the things I don't tell her what my sins are, but I'm confessing to Jesus I am this, that, and the other thing. I do this, that, and the other thing. I have a problem with this, that, and the other thing. When, see, I wanted Jesus to be personal. I wanted to understand he died for me. You know, we have the cliche, he died for me. But I wanted to know it. And when I studied that, this was only about three weeks ago, I was like, he confessed my sin with washing the feet. And I just, I just felt so terrible. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord, that you took on my sin. You became the liar. You became the prideful person. You became, you know, whatever it is that I've struggled with. You took that on. You confessed it. You took it to the cross. Thank you so much, but I'm so sorry you had to do that. And it was, for me, it was, it was just huge that foot washing means confessing the sin. I'm admitting my sin. I'm owning that sin. I'm saying, yes, I have that problem. Because how many of us like to deny it? Let's be honest. Don't we like to deny our sins? No, I don't have that issue. You do, but I don't. You know, you got a problem. I'm just fine. You know, when we wash our feet, we re you know, for a rather partner, we remember blessings that we have not used appropriately. You know, we all have friends in here. We have not used our friends correctly. We've used them. And when foot washing comes, we recognize, wow, I didn't say thank you to so-and-so. I didn't do a favor in return to so-and-so. I mean, I just totally took that person for granted. I mean, and I expected them to do that and not do anything in return. We think about it. The Holy Spirit brings those things back to our minds. And another big thing is we come to, to the person we're struggling with. Let's say Rachel and I are having a tiff. When communion comes, we need to be washing feet together. Because when I wash her feet, you know what? Let's say our tiff is kind of serious. And uh, we should be washing feet together. Barb remembers this lady. We had a lady at the, the Marquette Church. And uh, she gave me a phone call one day. It was not a happy phone call. I cried all day long after that phone call. And I'm not going to say the name because you won't know. But anyways, so I got through that day and prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, she told me how messed up I was on this, that, and the other thing. And um, it was communion that week. So, you know, I really did a lot of praying, and we sat down in church, and I said, so-and-so, I need to wash feet with you. She says, I need to wash feet with you. I'm really sorry for what I said. I said, you know what, I want to go to heaven with you. She says, I want to go to heaven with you, too. Now, we weren't able to wash feet because I had a Bible study I had to take care of, it, and she understood, and I explained, and she says, it's a, we're, we're fine. But that's who we need to wash feet with. The disciples would not wash feet with each other because they wouldn't admit, you know, someone could actually do a job well or better than they could, and they couldn't deal with that. They did not want to admit they were wrong. And when we wash feet, we're admitting, you know what, I'm not as great as I think I am. I had a lady from Sudan, and when she came to church, it was communion. 
I explained, Ian, when we wash feet, I'm saying you're not any higher than me and I'm not any higher than you. No, she's from Sudan. She's a black lady. She knew nothing about the Lord really. I mean, she knew some things, but not really a whole lot. But when I bow down to wash her feet, I'm just equal with her at her level. And she's equal with me at my level. And when we wash feet, we're unified. To refuse to wash feet, we're not unified. We're rejecting unity. And so it's pretty serious. Um, we accept Christ's forgiveness. So if I allow Marilyn to wash my feet, I'm accepting the forgiveness Christ is offering. He gave forgiveness to Mary Magdalene when she washed his feet. She accepted it. She was happy. If I don't allow someone to wash my feet because of my pride, I'm not being forgiven. I'm not allowing that forgiveness to come. So I'm rejecting that forgiveness. So if I stay sitting in my pew and I watch everyone go walk out into the other room to do the foot washing, I'm saying, I don't need you, Jesus. So when I allow my feet to be washed, I go into the other room and saying, I do need you, Jesus. I am a sinner. Let's just admit it. We're sinners. Let's just accept it. Because then we can move on. And then we can rejoice in our relationship, which is renewed with Christ. Now, there's... Um, it's interesting. You're laughing, Marilyn. That is true. Don't have to get on our knees then, do we? <laughs> well, the pride is gone. And Jesus refused to wash hands. It was a tradition. Remember, it's in like Matthew, I think it's either 15 or 19. And the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and says, Hey, your disciples are transgressing the, the tradition of the elders. They're not washing their hands. They're eating with unwashed hands. And I looked it up in a couple places. Jesus never washed hands. That was a custom of the Jews. You know, if, if Dal was a Jew and I was a Gentile and we were in the um, market and I came and I walked up and I kind of just brush against her. Oh man, she'd have to run home, do a certain kind of ritual, washing her hands up to the elbows, and then she could eat supper. That's how the Jews mindset. Because I'm a Gentile. I'm a dog. But um, Jesus, he never did that. He never followed the tradition. He didn't accept the traditions of people. And it's interesting, he doesn't accept rituals that have no value, no merit to them. There is no salvational merit to washing your hands before you eat supper. Yes, but there's no salvational merit there. So he just cut that out. And that blew the Pharisees. And that's why they're like, Jesus, you need to do these kind of things so the Pharisees accept you. And he's like, no, I'm not here for acceptance on their terms. So but the foot washing with all what we just talked about how it's being a, going into a slave's position and uh, confessing our sins and all that. He can do that because that's what he's all about. But the other issue is, do our hands take us through life or do your feet take you through life? How did you get here? You had to walk here. You might have took the tram partway, but you had to walk through the doors. Your feet take you through life. And if you don't if those don't get washed, it's symbolically showing where your feet are taking you. It needs to be cleansed because it's taking you in the wrong places. You know, like our sheep, he jumps his way out of the way. But um, our feet take us through life. Our hands don't. We work with our hands, 
But you know, that's works by righteousness by works then. You can't cleanse that. There's no hope for righteousness by works. There's only hope with righteousness by faith. And Jesus is going to cleanse our feet. And that's by faith that it happens. Now, I think my time is supposed to be up. I'm almost done. Can I finish it? Okay. So, foot washing is a miniature baptism. How many of you heard that? Just so I know. A lot of you have. Okay, I have a fifth generation Adventist lady that I've worked with. She's never heard that before. Which was really surprising. But, it is a miniature baptism. You know, I talked about we walk through life. How many of you have been baptized? So you've been baptized. Now we have one young man here. It was just a few weeks ago you've been baptized, right? Personal question. Have you sinned since then? Okay, so now you need a new baptism. You need to get dunked every time you sin. Then you might as well live in the tank, right? You'll be all wrinkly and pruny and everything. But no, foot washing time is a chance to be reconnected to Christ, reestablish that relationship, and have that sin that you've done since then washed away. So it's a mini baptism. But with baptism, you committed your life, didn't you? You said, Jesus, I want you forever. I'm going to stay with you forever. Come hell or high water, I'm going to be with you. And that's what the foot washing is. It's a chance for you to say, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to stay with you. Times get rough, I'm going to stay with you. Times are good, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. It's a chance for you to say, yes, I'm going to stay with you, Lord. It's a time for you to think, do I want to stay with Jesus? You know, it's back to the examining time. That's what full washing is for. It's that rebaptism, reconnection. You know, it reminds us that it's through Christ's blood and power that we have salvation, not through mine. Because the way Jesus designed it, someone else has to wash your feet. That person is acting in the symbol of Christ. So when you have someone wash your feet, imagine it next time that that is Jesus Christ washing your feet. That will change things for you. It's going to reconnect you to Christ's supernatural ability to be victorious over sin. It's a transparency that it creates love and unity in the church because I'm saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I need Barbara to wash my feet because I am a sinner. I'm admitting that. I'm finally confessing it. That creates a transparency so now she knows I'm just as bad as she is. Right? But you know, when we're both in the same, you know, okay. Have you guys ever noticed peas are all equal? Look at your chairs. I mean, do the front row have higher seats and the back row have lower seats? They're all equal. And so that's what it does. It creates a unity because everything is equal. When we both admit we're sinners, now we're equal. If one won't admit, like the disciples wouldn't admit it, Jesus had to do something drastic to get their attention. Hey, because you refuse to wash feet, it shows that you're messed up. It allows the Holy Spirit to heal the broken, tangled hearts I talked about with my friend at that church, and it did. It, it renewed our friendship. It broke down the barriers because we said, we're sorry. We admitted that, hey, you know what? We both need to pull our horns in here. You were wrong. I was wrong. Let's, let's just admit it. And then that new birth experience can be renewed. When you ever go to a marriage, a, cer- a wedding ceremony, don't you go through the vows with your, you kind of mentally think them through, I'm saying this to my spouse too. 
And when someone gets, re, gets baptized, you know, you go through the 13 vows, you know, that's me too. But um, when we do the foot washing, we're renewing it all. So foot washing isn't just rub-a-dub-dub, here we go. Foot washing is, it's a recommitment. That is a new birth experience, if we allow it to be. So what's next? We have thoughts and plans to help others when the, those ideas come to our mind after we've washed our feet because now our sins are in the bottom of that bowl. My husband and I, we talk about all the time we should walk through a mud puddle before we go to church on communion so we can see our sins there. Now, how many of you really scrub the lint out from the toenails on Sabbath of communion so no one sees how dirty the feet are? You know, that's scary. Anyways, um... But we need to have thoughts of helping others, witnessing to others. Joy and peace is going to happen. These are the thoughts because we've been cleansed. Now our minds can really be filled with Christ. If the sins didn't go, we're still on that same track, that same mindset. But when we do the full washing, it lets it all go away because do you believe your sins are down at the bottom of that bowl? Are they really gone now? That's the purpose of the full washing. So you can, you know... Communion, we have, God has covenants. We're going to talk about covenants here in a few days, but uh, tomorrow actually, I think. But the issue is we have a covenant. Remember Noah's ark? They came out of the boat, and God put the bow in the cloud for a tangible sign. God is an invisible God, but he knows we are visible people. We need something tangible. He gave us a um, the rainbow to remind him and to let us know he's being reminded of that covenant. It's a visible sign. Then he gave us the Sabbath. The Bible says that's a covenant. It's a sign, according to Ezekiel 20, verse 12 and 19 and 20. It's a physical sign that we have that this God that we can't see, that we read about in our Bible, is real. Communion is the same thing. It is a visible sign that I believe he is the divine son of God, because why else am I doing this? You know, why else am I taking this, this juice and this bread? Why else am I washing my feet? This is a, co a covenant that is physical, that you participate in. And you're renewing that covenant every time you do it. And a covenant is an agreement. You know, when you got married, you made a covenant with your husband or with your wife, saying you are going to be the only one for me. And that's what we're doing at communion when we do the foot washing and the bread. Then you can have peace. Because you've renewed that covenant. It is now going with you wherever you go. Um, Christ's strength and our personal determination combine at the foot washing to make all this happen. So really when you think about it, why wouldn't you want your feet washed? Don't you want to admit your sins? Don't you want to understand Jesus confessed your sins for himself, for you? If you don't want that experience, you won't show up. If you do want that experience, you will show up. So we still need foot washing. So what else is there that can pull us out of ourselves? The foot washing is the preparatory, how do you pronounce that word? There you go. Can you say it louder? Preparatory. It is the preparatory service so that we finally can accept what the bread and the juice represent. If we don't get ourselves cleansed through the power of Christ, the bread and the juice have no value. It's actually a mockery. There's no purpose anymore. There's no meaning to it. Um, so we need the foot washing beforehand. So it's interesting that all these other churches, back to our thing I was supposed to be reminded of, 
When the other churches, they, they throw out the foot washing, they're going into the bread and the juice without confessing their sins, without accepting Jesus confessing their sins for them, without them being transparent, without them accepting unity. They're very disjointed. So the value of the bread and the juice now has completely gone out the window. There's no meaning to it anymore. So you see how Satan attacks that particular aspect, the foot washing? So um, let's see here. We have some altar call questions. Are we willing to allow Satan to steal a life-changing experience with Jesus away from us? Because the foot washing is an experience with Jesus when you put all that into place. And there's more that I could say. There's one thing. Think about it. Jesus was washing their feet. Now, I'm not trying to go into tarot reading things, but think of, he could read their lives. When he touched that man's foot, he knew that man, his childhood, his young manhood, his current life. He knew everything. He could read it. He, he knew that man personally. And when he washed that, that foot, he could see all that in his mind's eye. So take that in context. I'm not saying reading the cards and all that. But Jesus knew him. He knows us when our feet are being washed. He knows all of the fears. He knows all the trials. He knows the temptations. And he knows the failings. Yet he accepted that person. At that moment, in that sinful state, even Judas, he knew Judas was going to betray him. But he didn't deny confessing his sin. He accepted Judas's sin. So really, could I not do that? Let's say Marilyn is just a down-out-and-out out rotten person, and I know her, and if I refuse to wash her feet, I'm being like Judas where I didn't want to wash feet and all the other disciples. Now Jesus knew it that he was going to betray him, but yet he was willing to wash his feet. I don't know everything about Marilyn, but yet, you know what? Can't I wash her feet too, not knowing the outcome? Jesus had hope against hope Judas would repent. And so that's why he washed his feet. Maybe you're going to wash someone's feet and it's going to change their lives. Are you agreeable to repeat another communion service without your heart being softened and melted for Christ? Do you crave opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit and being scoured from sins, debilitating stains? You desire to begin the foot washing ministration with fellow believers. I think that's my last one. So, I would like to... You want that to go backwards? Let me see if I can... I have some... I was going to save question and answer time. First of all, what do you guys think? Was, did you learn more about... Be honest, if you didn't, okay... Did you feel you learned a little bit more about foot washing today than before you sat down? Yeah. You have a question, Rachel? A little. Because, yeah, you're coming from a different background. Your dad was a pastor. But you know what? Almost all the churches I've been in, the pastors don't say anything. It's just the body. It's just the blood service for what foot washing. You don't get a sermon. You don't generally get anything. You're just kind of left out there in the dust. You have a question. Was foot washing to be done before the meal then? 
It had to be done before. Because you had to have your heart melted before you did the, the, the bread and the juice, what that represented. The Passover meal is, that's tomorrow. That's the moments between the Passover and the, the communion supper, the last supper, that there's, there's, that's a dividing line. So tomorrow is going to be that. Heavenly Father, I just pray you bless all of the, my friends here, that you will give them a, an experience with Jesus they haven't had when they go to the next communion service, which is actually going to be Friday. So I just pray, Lord, you keep them all safe. Bring them back if that is your wish, Lord. Maybe there's a different seminar they need to go to. I just pray you be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.